Thank you, choir and orchestra. Are we singing that in the pageant, Steve? We're not. Well, I'm glad I listened to it today because that's one of my favorites. I always enjoy hearing that. Well, as we are approaching Christmas, I want to spend these weeks in looking at some of the characters that uh, were involved in the birth of Jesus, that surrounded the birth of Jesus. And today, our focus is going to be on Mary and Joseph. It is believed that Mary was a young girl. In fact, the commentaries pretty well agree that she was probably 12 to 14 years old when she married Joseph. She was a virgin, which is not all that surprising because of her age. We don't know a whole lot about Joseph. He is only mentioned 12 times in the Bible. He is generally believed to be older than Mary was. In fact, as I have looked at the various commentaries, it is suggested that he was somewhere between the age of 17 and 50 when they married. Now, that's a, that's a wide range, but that is, that is uh, what the commentaries say. It could be that he was a widower. The reason there are those who believe that he was older is that after Jesus was in the temple at 12 years old and Mary and Joseph went there seeking him, he is not mentioned again. So it is assumed that he was older and probably he had died, so he is no longer in the picture. Well, how did this couple get together? How, how did they become husband and wife? What were the circumstances surrounding them that brought them together? Take your Bibles today and look at Matthew chapter 1. We'll begin reading in verse number 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, desired to put her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus." For it is he who will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Joseph arose from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took her as his wife and kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son And he called his name Jesus. All right, let's begin by planning a wedding. There in verse number 18, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. In the Jewish culture, there were three parts to the marriage. There was the engagement, the betrothal, and then the marriage itself. Now, we have some understanding about the engagement in Western culture. Two people meet, they fall in love, and then they become engaged. There are various things that attract one person to another. One is the way that person looks. I mean, if it's 
someone who is attractive, then we have a tendency to be attracted to them. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. If it's an attractive person, we are attracted. So for some, it's, look, I call it the Samson effect. Samson met a girl who was a Philistine, and he was attracted to her. He told his parents that he wanted to marry her. And, well, they didn't want them to marry because she was a Philistine. And they said, I don't think this is a good idea, Samson. And Samson said, get her for me, for she looks good to me. Things have not changed a great deal. There are some people who are engaged because of the attractiveness of the other person. There are other people who are attracted to another person because of their wealth, because they have some money. I used to have a friend who would say to his children, it's just as easy to fall in love with a rich person as it is a poor one. And maybe it is, but there are people who are attracted because of the wealth. That's the reason sometimes you see an old man and a young woman together. Is it, was it his looks that attracted her? Probably not. It was probably that he had some money. In fact, I heard about this couple. They were married. It's an old fella and, and a young woman. They had gotten married. They were having an argument. And so they pulled up in the driveway. They had been having an argument back and forth. And when they got out of the car, he said to her, if it were not for my money, this car would not be here. She didn't say anything. He said, if it were not for my money, this house would not be here. She didn't reply to that either. He went on in and said, if it were not for my money, this furniture would not be here. That widescreen TV would not be there. Those clothes that you're wearing, that you enjoy, the, the jewelry that you wear, it would not be here if it were not for my money. And she said, if it were not for your money, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> sometimes people are attracted because of wealth, sometimes because of prestige, but sometimes it's because of the way that a person looks. So that is sort of our understanding of engagement. Two people meet each other, they fall in love, and they become engaged. Well, that is not the way it was in the Eastern culture that we are reading about here. The engagement part of the process was arranged by the parents. Now, the parents of the man and the woman, the boy and the girl, the two intended, would come together and the parents of the boy would say to the parents of the girl, we would like for your daughter to marry our son. Now at this point, at the point of engagement, the two people who are potentially going to be married are not involved in the process. It is the parents who come together and they arrange the engagement. Now that's the first part. The second part then is the betrothal. And that's where Mary and Joseph were in the story. They were betrothed to each other. In verse number 18, it said Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Now, this part of the process normally lasted from about 10 months to one year. It is at this stage the couple agrees to marry each other. In the engagement period, the parents agree in the betrothal the two people who are going to be married agree. It is a time of building a relationship. So when they are betrothed to each other, they get to know each other. They begin to build a relationship with each other during that period of time. 
it is during this time that the man is preparing the home where they are going to live when they are actually married. This is also a legal time. They are bound by a legal document because they agree that they are going to marry each other. In fact, during the time of betrothal, if the fiancé dies, the girl is said to be a widow who is a virgin. They are not intimate during this time. So there is the engagement, there is the betrothal, and then there is the wedding. Now, up till this point, it all is basically theory. When they get married, it becomes reality. And when you get married, there are expectations that are involved, and the bride and groom have different expectations as to what marriage is going to be. The groom expects that he is going to be admired. She is going to be impressed with his wit and charm and wisdom. Because you see, the thing that a man needs more than anything else is admiration. And so that's what he is expecting. He is expecting that she is going to admire him. She's going to be a good cook. Whenever he comes home, he can already smell the aroma of dinner coming from the crock pot. I mean, it's, it's going to be good. She's going to be fun to be around like she's been during the period of engagement. She's going to still be fun to be around. So he has these expectations is what it means. I'm going to marry this girl and this is what I'm expecting. But she has her expectations also. She expects him to provide security for her, to protect her, because that is the thing that the woman needs more than anything else is security. She wants to feel secure. She expects him to be kind and gentle in her dealings with him. She expects him to be compassionate like her father has been compassionate. There are expectations. The reality often fails to live up to the expectation, however. When you get to that point, you get to the point and you marry, no longer theory, now it is reality. In fact, when a man marries, he thinks that she will never change. She's going to be just like she's been. When a woman marries, she thinks she can change him. And both are disappointed. There is the reality of being married, and I, I'm sure that some of the newly married in our church are experiencing the reality of being married. Not all wives cook. You might have gotten one, you might not have. You know, it's Christmas coming up, we always hide Linda's present in the oven because we know she'll never find it there. Not all wives cook. It seems that after you get married, they have different interests. Before, before you got married, she used to go fishing with you. She'd even bait the hook. Where is she now? Before you got married, he'd go shopping with you. Just enjoyed it so much. 
And now, what happened? Well, she's not fishing. He's not shopping. All he wants to do is sit on the couch and watch ESPN. And you want to watch the Home and Garden channel. So there is the reality of being married. We have these expectations when we get married during the engagement period. We have all of these expectations, but then there's a reality of actually being married. Well, Mary and Joseph had some challenges that they had to deal with also. She was pregnant, verse number 18. Before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit, wasn't his child. She explained to him that the angel had told her she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. I cannot help but believe that, that he felt betrayed. Now, I'm just putting the, the human response into that. Here he is marrying this girl. He has agreed to marry this girl. They went through the betrothal time. She is pregnant, and I think he probably felt betrayed. He had three options, three basic options. What is he going to do? They are in that betrothal period. It is a legal period. She tells him that she is pregnant by the Holy Spirit. What does he do? He can marry her. He can go on with the contract and he can marry her. He can go through a public divorcement, presenting her as an adulteress, and she would be stoned to death. Or thirdly, he could put her away quietly. And that appears to be what he was thinking of. Because in verse 19 it says, he did not want to disgrace her, he desired to put her away secretly. All right, so here they are. They are in this period of being betrothed to each other. She is pregnant, not his child. He can marry her, he can divorce her, or he can quietly put her away. What did he do? Verse number 19. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, I think that's significant. Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man. Well, how does that apply? What does it mean to be a righteous man? And, and I looked that up because the scripture says that he was a righteous man. Well, in the marriage relationship, how did that apply? How did that work out? If you're a righteous man, how does that work out? Well, it means that it impacts your speech. In Proverbs chapter 10, verse 11, the Bible says, The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. The mouth of a righteous is a fountain of life. Well, what does that mean in this relationship? I think it means that he was not always throwing up to her that she was pregnant and he wasn't sure. The mouth of a righteous man is a fountain of life. Folks, if you're a righteous person, your words build up, not tear down. If you're a righteous person and you're married, then you want to build up the one to whom you're married. He was a righteous man, and that is reflected in his speech. Righteousness is committed to the truth. In Proverbs 13, 5, the Bible says, A righteous man hates falsehood. 
Well, what does that mean in this relationship? Joseph was a righteous man. What does that mean? It means that he was not impacted by innuendo, by gossip, by all these things that other people said. He's committed to truth. Let me ask you a question. It's just something for you to consider. Had you rather hear something good about someone or something bad about someone? A righteous person is someone who hates falsehood and committed to the truth. It affects prayer. James 5.16 says the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. So what does it mean? He was a righteous man. Joseph was a righteous man. It means that he prayed for her. He prayed for his wife. He prayed for Mary. He was a righteous man. His actions toward Mary reflected his righteousness. He protected her, Albert Barnes wrote. He was not willing to complain of her to the magistrate and expose her to death, but sought to avoid the shame and to put her away privately. That was his consideration. Why? Because he was a righteous man. It means that his speech built her up. It means that he was concerned with truth. He was committed to truth, not innuendo and not gossip. He protected her and he married her, verse 24. And Joseph arose from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took her as his wife. As I look at this marriage, and I think that it is, is critical in any marriage, is that it was a marriage of faith. You see, I, I think that Joseph considered what Mary had told him. It's pretty significant, and I think that he gave consideration to it. That an angel came to her and announced to her that she was going to have a child. She was a virgin. An angel announced to her that she was going to have a child, and she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. That's what she said. That's what she told him. Now, at first, Mary was reluctant. She was hesitant concerning what the angel said. The Bible says in Luke 1.45, Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I'm a virgin? So the angel came to her, and this is what she had told Joseph. An angel came to her and said, you are going to have a child being impregnated by the Holy Spirit. She was hesitant. How can this be since I am a virgin? But then she yielded to what she believed to be God's will. In Luke 1.38, and Mary said, behold the bond slave of the Lord be it done to me according to your word. Now, that is what she said to Joseph. Joseph, an angel came and told me that I was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. At first I was reluctant, but then I said, be it done to me according to your will. That's what she told him. And then it was confirmed to him, verse 20. But when he had considered this, he considered what she said. When he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. So after he considered what Mary had told him, it then was confirmed to him by an angel. Joseph, do not be afraid. To take Mary as your wife. What was he afraid of? Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. What was he afraid of? 
I'm sure he was afraid concerning her morals. I'm taking this woman to be my wife. Is she going to be a moral person? I would imagine that he was concerned about her faithfulness. Would, would she be faithful to him? See, Joseph knew the story of Gomer and Hosea. He knew that story. He knew that in the story, she had been promiscuous before they were married. She was unfaithful during the marriage. He had given her chance, but she was unfaithful. Is this what I'm marrying? Am I marrying someone who is going to be unfaithful to me? There is the embarrassment of her condition. What about the gossip? What would his parents think? What would his family think? What would the people he knows think? What would they think about all of this? But he had faith that this was a divine conception. In verse number 20, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. The angel said to Joseph, Joseph, this is of the Holy Spirit. Her pregnancy is of the Holy Spirit. He confirmed what she had said to him. I think that he thought about that because for over a thousand years the Jews had been looking for the Messiah. For a thousand years, over a thousand years, they're looking for the Messiah to come. There were over 300 prophecies concerning the Messiah who was to come. It was prophesied that he would be born of a virgin. Isaiah chapter 7, verse number 14, Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. That was written 700 years before Jesus was born. So the prophet had prophesied that when the Messiah comes, he will be born of a virgin. Mary's a virgin. Micah chapter 5 verse number 2 said that when the Messiah is born, he will be born in Bethlehem. That also was written about 700 years before Jesus was born. When he is born, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. They were in Bethlehem. Virgin in Bethlehem. Hosea had prophesied that the Messiah will come out of Egypt... Hosea 11.1, 1, and out of Egypt I called my son. When they were fleeing from Herod, they went to Egypt. And they came out of Egypt. I think that Joseph must have been considering the prophecies that had been made concerning the Messiah over 300. Be born of a virgin, she's a virgin. Born in Bethlehem, they were in Bethlehem. Come out of Egypt, and he came out of Egypt. He had faith, and faith leads to commitment. Verse 24. And Joseph arose from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took her as his wife. There were difficulties in the marriage, I'm sure. There was the embarrassment that went with it. Here he has married this girl, and she's pregnant. And you know as well as I that the people in town were talking. There was the embarrassment. They were not intimate, verse 25. 
He kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. He called his name Jesus. So here's a young married couple. They are not intimate during this time. There is the inconvenience when they went to Bethlehem. There was no room for them in the inn. There was the inconvenience surrounding the marriage, but they were committed. That's the thing that impresses me about this. See, we, we sometimes fantasize or we idealize the, the story of Joseph and Mary and the birth of Jesus and so forth. But these were real people. And they struggled with some of the same things you and I struggle with. But they were committed. When I look at the story, Mary was committed to God. When, when the angel said that she was going to have a child, that she was impregnated by the Holy Spirit, she said, how can this be? I'm a virgin. She was hesitant. But then she yielded because she accepted God's purpose for her life. Be it done to me according to thy purpose, thy will. Joseph was committed to a girl who was pregnant because he believed that it was of God. When I look at them in their marriage, they had, they had challenges, absolutely. They had serious challenges to deal with, but they were committed. She was committed to God's will for her life. He was committed to her. So let me conclude. What does this say to us? What does this say to you and me? You've heard the story. You know the story. So how does it apply to us today? What does it say to us? Well, as I read the story again and looked at it, I think that God calls us to his purpose. God has a purpose for our lives. And we sometimes struggle with that purpose and have to make a decision as to what we're going to do. Joseph and Mary, they struggle, but they yielded to the God's purpose for their life. God, this is what you want. We yield to it. I look at the story of David. David was a shepherd boy. God had a purpose for him. He was a shepherd boy who became a king because that was God's purpose. Jesus, the baby we're reading about, he grew up, had a lot of challenges to deal with. And there in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he's facing the cross, he struggled with God's purpose for his life, the Father's purpose for his life. But then he said, not my will, but thine be done. Father, I yield myself to your purpose. So I guess that is the essence of what I'm saying today. My friend, God has a purpose for your life. He has a purpose for you. It might be difficult. It might be challenging. It might be a struggle. But what will you do concerning God's call on you? That was... Mary, be it done to me according to thy will. That was Jesus, not my will, but thine be done. But what about you? God has a purpose for your life. Are you today willing to yield your life to the one who created you? Our Father and God, I thank you that you do have a purpose for our lives. And I thank you, Father, that 
you have plans for us, for our prosperity, and our prosperity is by being in your will. I pray today, Father, for someone who's never come to know Jesus Christ as Savior, that they would today. I pray for other decisions that should be made to join our church, to dedicate a new one's life, whatever you're calling. I just pray that we will say, here am I, use me. In Jesus' name I ask, amen. Just a moment, we're gonna stand as we extend an invitation. Choir will sing. If you've never committed your life to Christ, I encourage you to come today. The staff will be here to receive you. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open. We'd love to have you. Stand with me, please. As we stand together, they sing, you come, I'll greet you as you do. Well, our Christmas pageant begins uh, Friday night, and uh, it'll be Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And Steve, I know that uh, that I think that most of the tickets, if not all of them, are gone. Do we have any left? There are tickets for Friday, Friday and some night. For Friday. 
So if you need tickets for Friday night, get those this morning. Invite somebody to come on Friday night. That's Was it 7 o'clock on Friday night? 7 o'clock. You'll, you'll be blessed. And I know that you who have been there will be here because you have been blessed by the pageant. Uh, and uh, so make sure you get your tickets. I want you to. It's, it will bless your heart whenever you come and, and uh, see the story of the life of Christ. And then one final thing, you know that during the, uh, the month of December, that is uh, whenever we really have to dig deep and, and get out of a hole. Uh, I was talking with, uh, financially I'm talking about, not a literal hole, a financial hole. Talking to Steve this morning and I said, Steve, how much do we have to have to be in the black at the end of December? He said $740,000. Last year, $710,000. Y'all are doing better. We've gone from 710 in the hole to 740 in the hole. So we, we, we're making progress, I guess. But let's all, and I know that we will. We do every year. Let me encourage you to be faithful in your giving, to give generously. And, uh, and some of us would, uh, will need to give more than we normally do. And uh, Linda and I would try to do that every year, and, and I encourage you to do so as well. So just remember those two things, our finances at the end of the year and the Christmas pageant begins this week. Be praying for it that God will bless it. Now let's stand together as we are dismissed. College students, we have free lunch for you over in the Family Life Center. I hope you will stay for that. Anyone have any prayer needs? These deacons with red badges on will pray for you. You just come and see one of them.